Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle take turns introducing each other to films, and in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of December 2020, uh, which means it is Kyle's Brutal December. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a special event month wherein Kyle is going to be subjecting the two of us to, I presume, some brutal uh, holiday and or Christmas themed films. Uh, so this week, uh, Kyle has selected a film that uh, was a mutual catching up for the two of us, um, and this was a special one. Uh, mm-hmm. Happy to report that we both enjoyed the hell out of this, and that would be... Uh, Bob Clark's uh, Black Christmas from 1974. Um, Kyle, uh, why is it you picked uh, Black Christmas uh, for our second episode of the month? Well, I just wanted to let you know, week two, I'm batting a thousand so far. Uh, <laughs> I chose this one for week two because it seemed like a good time to, to watch this one. Um, this has been, I think, on our radar for, at least on my radar for a couple of years now. I started to watch it one night and just wasn't in the mood for it. And I thought, it's finally time to pull the trigger, and I've heard that this is the movie that kind of sparked the, uh, the slasher genre within the, within the horror realm. Uh, I, think that's, uh, I think you might have a little something against that. I don't know if you entirely agree with that. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you, you could say that. Um, one thing that I was actually kind of interested to talk about here was uh, just, just the legacy of slasher movies, because... This, this film coming out in 1974 puts it in a very interesting place in, in the timeline of horror history where I, traditionally this film is lumped in as, as a slasher it fits under that umbrella of that subgenre of horror um, but I think it's really fascinating that I, I think of it as like a, a proto slasher mm-hmm. because we wouldn't start really using that terminology until well after you know, John Carpenter's Halloween in like 1978 uh, so this does fit pretty neatly under the, the slasher umbrella and yet it kind of predates them so mm-hmm. it, hence proto slasher that's 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 the terminology that i was keeping in the back of my head i don't know if that works for you yeah proto slasher is i was mentioning off air that i think this is one of the first uh horror comedies because uh, there's quite a bit of comedy in this movie uh and i think it's a, a little bit ahead of its time yeah, uh, I would agree with you. The uh, the the comedy aspect uh, perhaps comes about as a result of maybe the sensibilities of the director, perhaps um, Bob Clark. And uh, right off the bat, this is something I wanted to spotlight mm-hmm. um, because just taking a, like the briefest of glances at at his filmography, it puts a smile on your face because it is all over the fucking place. Uh, this man ser- he made some serious contributions to to cinema history, and he also kept on going after that but um so i'm just going to run down some of the ones that stand out to me the first one of course is black christmas 1974 so he kind of created he created one of the like most noteworthy early slasher films that's a pretty big fucking deal Mm -hmm. and then not too long after that he made porky's one and two so he he uh contributed to the screwball uh booby comedy subgenre <laughs> in the form of two movies that were probably really important to some young people growing up. Yeah. Uh, certainly not me, but I've seen the first Porky's, and it was a little too raunchy for me. Um, that, was my, that was my take on it, though. I never watched it. I never watched the Porky's movies. They never really appealed to me. Um, I, they probably don't hold up very well. There's probably a lot of problems. 
Oh, yeah, and then some. Uh, Animal House, I think, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Caddyshack. Most of the National Lampoon stuff of that era, fantastic. Um, yeah. I haven't seen, like, oh, was it Hot Dog? And, like, they have a whole bunch of food product named movies that fit under, like, the Screwball oh, Team. Oh, I didn't see it. Yeah, I didn't see any of that, um, but I did catch Porky's, like, late night on cable or something. And uh, That's when you want to catch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially when you're, you know, like, 15 or something. <laughs> but yeah. um, it didn't really mean much to me but it it certainly means something to somebody because it got a sequel <laughs> um, but right after that though he made a fucking christmas story yeah like you know one of the most celebrated christmas films that exists um that that pool may be like grossly diluted these days thanks to netflix cranking out apparently like 20 christmas films mm-hmm. a year for the past mm-hmm. decade or whatever you know all about that. In fact, you're the one who told me about that, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a Christmas Chronicles 2, the Kurt Russell uh, Santa Claus movie. This time with more Goldie Hawn. A lot more Goldie Hawn. Uh, it is awful. Uh, the first one was a fluke. It was just kind of fun. The second one, yeah, you can keep it. Okay, you heard it here, folks. Because I heard do it here. remember you giving a positive review to yeah. the first one. Um, it's fun. Funny enough, I, I just listened to a podcast today that uh, talked about a... Not a conspiracy theory, but like, a, 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 like you know, like a, a nerdy kind of like side theory, like a canon theory uh, about uh, Netflix potentially trying to do some Avengers shit with their Christmas movies. Really? Like, do like a crossover where like they'll have Kurt Russell show up in the, the Christmas Prince 3 or whatever. Oh, or the really? Christmas Prince 4 or something. That's creative. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's kind of brilliant because somebody's watching all of these movies and it seems like you can't make one without making a sequel to it. Yeah, yeah she's sitting on a bed 12 feet from me. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she's seen so, them all. But yeah, their, their theory was that uh, Christmas Prince 4, they're going to they're gonna have some sort of crossover situation where, like, Vanessa Hudgens, there's, there's going to be, like, four Vanessa Hudgens in the movie, uh, Kurt Russell, and then, I don't know, like, maybe they'll go back and bring Rupert Everett out of retirement or something. He seems oh. like he would fit in those kinds yeah. of movies. I mean, fuck it, they're taking all your good shows away. The Office is leaving Netflix uh, here in January, so what, what do you have left? I mean, Netflix's corporate motto should just be everything we got. Everything <laughs> we, we got. got. Whatever we got. <laughs> everything, everybody on the pool. Everybody in the pool. Uh, back um, to a Christmas story. You can keep that movie now. Uh, fuck you, TBS, for completely ruining that movie for me. For at least the next ten years. Yeah, I was in the camp of people for a, a, a good long stretch of time that I would watch it every year. Yeah. Um, they would do the 24-hour marathon every year. Um what happened though it's like i i don't know who to blame for it but what happened was they started merchandising it and they just mm-hmm. blew it up too big yeah where it got obnoxious it was it was nice when it was just a quaint novelty where it's yeah. just like you can count on it being there all day long the one day of the year but then when they start like hyping it and like advertising that it's gonna come like like it, like it's actually christmas or something it's like dude it's a it's a movie we all know and love. We don't need to be told about it. We know to expect it there. I was going to say, speaking of batting a thousand, Bob Clark is batting a thousand when he makes a Christmas movie. <laughs> um, I mean, a Christmas story, like, if, if he only made that, that's, that's a fantastic contribution. But Black Christmas and A Christmas Story, so he did one of, if not the best Christmas horror movies, 
and mm-hmm. one of the most classic Christmas films as well. So he he's a Christmas fella. He's he made, he feels the spirit of the season. <laughs> he made a good horror movie and centered it around Christmas. It's not just hard a good Christmas horror movie. He made a good horror movie. Yeah, that's hard to do. It, it's it's kind of upsetting that this isn't included in like horror like horror film discussion. Like I took a whole class on horror film. This did not get brought up one time. We we definitely talked about Halloween. We were all on John Carpenter's dick for that for that class. I'm like, if I had known about this, I'm like, uh, excuse me, Professor, uh, can we please talk about Black Christmas? <laughs> you need to be fanning yourself with a handkerchief when you say that. <laughs> I declare, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you have to ask the professor to address you as Colonel as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've earned it. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I th- I think it's kind of amazing though that he he did both of those films so like two different ends of the mm-hmm. emotional spectrum and then unfortunately he closed out his career with two baby genius films mm. and Karate Dog Karate which, Dog which no it is not karate this is karate <laughs> it's like when it's associated with something called Karate Dog you don't have to say it right <laughs> maybe he was just a weed money director he's just like. I don't give a fuck. I'll make something funny. I'll do something out of this. I don't care. I just need a little bit of money for weed. Like he's just maybe he's just super chill. He had nothing to prove. What do you have to prove after you've made after you've made these two movies? I'm like, guys, I made little cult classics here. Like these are, these are great. Well, I mean, this is the kind of guy that you look at his filmography, and he's the kind of person that probably needs to be studied more. Like this is the kind of guy that probably needs more more hours spent like perusing his wares because. Yeah, th- this guy does seem like a, a hired gun, but he's he puts in good work. Like it seems like it seems like he always at least you know shows up to play. I can't speak to the the baby genius films and Karate Dog, um, and and Rhinestone as far as I know didn't do so well either. But <laughs> I feel like Brad from Cinema Speak would be. I feel like if we had got him on this episode, he's probably seen this movie like three times and have a lot to say about it. But I think you're right. I'm, I'm almost positive. <laughs> well, I'll have to pick his yeah. brain at some point because yeah, he's he's probably not going to be happy with us uh, he would, glossing he, over some stuff here and there. Yeah, well, he would be like, "You guys haven't seen that yet." I'm like, "No, we we haven't seen it yet." He'd be like, "Huh?" He's like, "I've forgotten more about that movie than you'll ever know." <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, we should probably get to the movie. Yeah, that movie itself. proper. Uh, so, Black Christmas, 1974. You want to give us a plot rundown, Kyle? Yeah, so some dude breaks into a sorority house in Canada. It's not Canada in the film, it's just Canada. It's someplace cold in the United States. Uh, Christmas time, not necessarily Christmas Eve. Uh, and he kind of just makes his way through the house, uh, picking off a few of the gals. And they're trying to figure out where he's uh, where he's calling from, and that's kind of the... Part of, the, part of the gist of the movie is we're trying to figure out where this guy's calling from because he keeps making these phone calls. And to the point where, at near the end of the film, I'm like, okay, phone calls are done because this was giving me anxiety. <laughs> Landlines. Yeah, uh, I, I just watched a, uh, a uh, making-of featurette about uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, mm. and they, they devoted like a whole minute of the documentary talking about old phones Mm. and how loud and heavy they were yes and the way he described it was like you need to understand like a phone call was a serious matter and mm. in a different point in history phones were serious business yeah a phone could fuck you up you need dental work after getting hit with a with a landline yeah um was it uh high fidelity mm. uh, if you haven't seen that one dream sequence where they take out tim robbins 
There's some good phone to the face action in that one. <laughs> I'm thinking uh, Val Resnick from Payback gives Lucy Liu a wrap across the face with the uh, with the phone receiver. Well, yeah. uh, Tim Robbins, I think, gets the whole phone. <laughs> <laughs> like I think the receiver and the like the entire instrument to the face. It's pretty great. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah. So some of the cast, I want to uh, just kind of knock off here. Uh, he's kind of a minor role, but I think he's worth noting. Uh, Kier Dula from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, weird seeing him emote because he has almost no emotion in 2001 and it's, it's kind of strange. Um, we have uh, Margot Kidder, which I know from Superman, but I've not seen Superman. I just know she's from Superman. Uh, Olivia Hussey. Is that, is that, did I say that right? Hussy? How else would you say that? <laughs> well, hussy is like a slang term for a slutty person, so I'm just like, am I, am I not? It's like, hey, who's. She, you know, she is a liberated woman. She's, she's a strong, independent woman. She can live as she chooses. Pin, put a pin in that, because I think that's really important to discuss in this film. Uh, it is John, a plot point, actually. Yeah. It, it is important. Uh, John Saxon, and then the dude from The Brood and Body Snatchers. <laughs> <laughs> the guy with the hair. Yeah. The guy with the chin, who looks like. He looks like the the Irish hitman from Austin Powers. <laughs> Actually, yeah, no no joke, like exactly. Um, he looks kind of like uh, Stephen King when he's uh, clean shaven and young, kind of mm. like he was in like Creepshow around there. The one girl's dad reminded me of Frank Oz. Oh yeah, he, he does. He looks like Doctor Wiley or something. Mm-hmm. Guys, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this this cast is a lot of fun, uh, especially if you're able to identify like the faces because. Mm-hmm. This is a talented cast of players that we have here, and just like taking a glance at like just the Wikipedia here, like there's some fun happenstance that happened during the casting process. Like uh, Gilda Radner was actually supposed to be in the movie. Oh, I'm sorry. There's one more that I forgot to point out. Um, it is. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. Let me find her name real quick. But if you've ever seen uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the the Phil from this movie, the girl with the glasses and the frizzy hair. Uh, she's the aunt from uh, the one with the mole. The one, the one who says, "What do you mean you don't eat no meat?" Like the yeah. one who gets really angry. Yeah, that's yeah, the, that's the, the, the one with the mole that she sprayed some Windex on, <laughs> and it shrank overnight. <laughs> yeah, uh, Andrea, Andrea Martin. I, like, yeah, I was looking at the cast. I'm like, holy shit, that's that's the aunt. I'm like that's yeah, fun. You, it's hard to recognize her because she has a very different haircut, and um, she's not doing an accent. Yeah, she's not doing an accent, but uh, that character was the Gilda Radner um, act. Like that was who was originally cast, but then, huh? SNL came a calling, and mm-hmm. uh, she made the right choice. She made know? the right choice. <laughs> and uh, John Saxon apparently joined the film with like two days' notice, um, so he had to pack up his bags from Brooklyn <laughs> and haul ass to Canada. <laughs> I had to get a haircut before I came. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> what are you looking at? <laughs> so, folks, um, in case you don't know, uh, John Saxon was well known to be uh, an owner of many a toupee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we make any comments about his hair, um, he knows. He knows. We all know. I think he just <laughs> passed away. I know. <laughs> no. R- R.I.P. Um, bald men, because Sean Connery as well. Yeah. Uh, two... two Two greats, two great bald greats. <laughs> yes, with noteworthy voices. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, this movie, uh, 
just just so we're clear, uh, we're probably going to spoil everything for you. Yes, so, yes. Um, right up top, we'll just say this is a very good film. Yes. Um, so if you are at all interested, probably don't spoil it for yourself. Go check it out. Um, right out the gate, I, I just want to throw it out there. Um, I know we're talking about things out of order, but it's not terribly important. Um, I really love how uh, how kind of loose this film is in, in the way it approaches the situation. Like, mm-hmm. there's... Like there's a theme of uh, information being being just like just hiding in plain sight that would be so incredible, incredibly useful to everybody around them, but by the time you get to the end of the film, there's so many things that never get answered that it makes the film so much better. <laughs> One thing I think that the director does like really well is just little bits that move the story along, and we don't spend any time like. At one point, you you might be asking yourself like, why are there why, why is why are there no guys here? What what what's going on? Like why why isn't somebody doing anything about this? Like well, we're in a sorority house, and she just said all dudes leave. Like all the guys have to go, and it's it, it's just like I guess blinking you miss it. I guess sneezing you miss it. <laughs> you might not hear it, but it's just it's just little things that just kind of move the plot along. We don't have to spend a lot of time with it. Yeah, actually, uh, one of the first things I did um, when I started researching this film, I spent about five minutes researching it, was I just tried to look up who wrote it, um, mm. because that was one of the things that jumped out at me, is this film is structured really tightly. Really? Like, it's really well put together and very well considered. Um, part of what separates this from like slasher movies of like the 80s and whatnot is that the characterization is stepped up quite a bit. Like Most of these people feel like people. Um, whereas you get into like the Friday the 13th territory and stuff like that and people are more just like there to be warm bodies to be served up to whoever it is that's you know stabbing or slashing or what have you this one isn't really focused on that in fact the the gore element the killing aspect of the film part of the novelty of it is that most of this cast if not the entire cast until the final act doesn't even know there's any killings happening (laughs) like there's no stalking until the very end of the film essentially um, which normally that's the entirety of like a traditional slasher movie is well, that kind of is that kind of like chase process well i i would say that this movie was actually i'm not gonna say scary but it definitely had it definitely had moments where i was unset it was had unsettling moments for me and i'm not sure what the zeitgeist was like how much uh like i'm not sure what like where serial killers were at the time like I, th- this is when they started becoming popular like around the late 60s, early 70s, but I'm not entirely sure how much of that hysteria was around this film and how much more scary that would have been with that in mind. Like, being in the theater watching this, like, this might have been a lot more unsettling given those circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a huge part of why this movie is legitimately kind of creepy at times is the the lack of motive Mm -hmm. um, and the lack of information given to us, the audience, uh, in terms of what it is this person what it is that's making this person behave the way they're doing um it it makes it so much creepier like we're again sorry to keep on bringing up poor jason but <laughs> he's kind of the, the prototypical slasher at least in my mind mm-hmm. like he's he's essentially a shark like he he just kind of like mm-hmm. he he swims he eats and i don't think his junk works but you know, <laughs> in a shark's case they make little sharks um but this this person has some sort of has something motivating them, but we have no clue what it might be, and none of the other characters do either because they're totally out of their mind, and 
and for some reason that just makes it all the more creepy where it's like there's no understanding this thing mm-hmm. and, uh, and yet it and yet it's a human being that that you know verbalizes and behaves occasionally somewhat human like uh, Jason Voorhees is a shark who had his uh, genitals blown off by a kraut grenade. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's what he is. Uh, he doesn't reproduce. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so one thing that I'm not a huge fan of, but I kind of let pass, watch, like, uh, was just fine with, is voyeuristic uh, points of view. And we do a little too much of it, uh, and I think the problem is, is we're doing a little bit of a fisheye lens when we have the voyeuristic... Like not fisheye, but kind of a distorted view, so we know that we're looking through the eyes of the killer. But w- that's the only voyeuristic view we get, so I don't really feel like we need that that frame. We can just have him, like that Jason, uh, not Jason, um, like the Michael Myers camp, where it's just Michael looking. Uh, like that opening scene where he's just the kid just going through. I think it would have been fine. You see, I did notice the lensing there as well. It's it's not a fisheye. I don't know enough about camera lenses to tell you exactly what kind of lens it is, but it does distort things. It makes everything look a little stretched vertically. It looks like an old uh, mu- metal music video when when he's looking at stuff. Yeah, actually, kind of. Um, but it doesn't have like the fisheye effect of like. It's not yeah. The, it's the not that exaggerated. Yeah. But um, I I could be totally wrong, but I I am trying to defend the film by saying that that may be a logistics thing. Mm. Because in 1974, a, a portable camera. There's a there's a yeah. shot yeah. where you. It's clearly a camera either strapped to someone's shoulders or their head, and he's climbing up mm-hmm. into the attic. And, it's a and we shaky, get it. Yeah. We get it from perspective. But that's that's kind of monumental to to have a mm. handheld shot in a theatrical film like that. I can see that. Like yeah. you you didn't move the camera like that very often, um, back you know back in the day. Um, and you know it's four years difference, but Halloween obviously we get the opening scene. Funny enough, both movies kind of open with a perspective shot. Um, with, you know Michael Myers running around with the mask and whatnot in his house. And in my mind, I could be wrong, but I remember the I remember the lensing there being different, mm-hmm. uh, being more like a naturalistic viewpoint and whatnot. But um, I didn't mind the the voyeur like the POV shot stuff um, at the time. It was probably novel. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually adds a lot to the creepiness because we never, like, again, spoiler alert, we never actually see this person. Mm-hmm. Like, we never get a look at this person. Um, and yet we do spend a few minutes of screen time, not a whole lot, but, like, over the entirety of the film, we do spend a few minutes in their shoes, and they're never pleasant minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's very strange and off-putting. I really do love the opening of this film. I, I, I It's very un- efficient. It's very efficient. We know ex- we know what's happening. It's a Christmas party, and a dude is breaking into a house. We waste no time. Like we're we're straight into it. But him climbing into the house, I found like from that that shot, I'm like that's really creepy. It's really creepy, and you can hear him breathing in the like you can hear him like breathing through his mouth. <laughs> you try breathing through your nose, uh, and just mouth breathing his way into the house, and I'm like, fuck, this is pretty creepy. Like it's pretty good, and it makes sense that you would do this in a sorority house. It's fucking huge. A little bit, of, doing a little bit of the math here. I'm like, eh, I think somebody would have seen him by now. But still, it, it's a good idea. No, um, so like, I don't know how how precise we're going to be breaking down this film, but uh, the opening scene, the opening 10, 15 minutes of the movie, it's all like a, a holiday party, like a mm-hmm. Christmas party at the sorority house. 
Um, we get our on-screen titles and whatnot, and then yeah, uh, we get his view like from the exterior of the building, watching like the last people show up at the party, and then he climbs up into the attic. And it's important to note there's a window mm-hmm. on the attic floor where there yeah. will be a dead body throughout sitting right in front of the throughout the entirety of the film. <laughs> It does really. It's really effective too, because we go back to that shot several times, several. and every time I'm like, "Fuck, dude!" Like it's it's really creepy. Um, I think this is a good time. We should kind of introduce our cast a little bit because I sure. think the cast is worth talking about. Uh, just the characters. I mean, um, like we said, uh, we don't. We're not really introduced to uh, to Dave Kierdola. We're not. We don't really know him just yet. But our main hitters uh, off from the beginning are Margot Kidder playing Barb. Uh, Olivia Hussey playing Jess, John's we don't meet John Saxon yet. Um, Homegirl Phil, uh, she's a main character. She's a kind of main character. And then Mrs. Mack is the the the, the dead mother, the uh, the house mother, which I guess was a thing. I guess she was like the RA. Yeah, I, I want to. I don't know if they still do that, but at least like the '80s screwball comedies and horror movies I saw still had that so maybe it's still a thing i don't think so that's why people are getting raped in fraternities <laughs> i don't think they have those anymore dude yeah but um marion waldman plays mrs mack and she leaves an impression she i She's hate to fine. say it but she made me think of uh my brother made me watch a couple of scenes from uh was it is it baskets the uh, Zach, Zach Galifianakis, yeah. Um, Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson is the. Is she mom. reminded me of him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Half of the people that live in this house are alcoholics. Uh, she is a full blown alcoholic, by the way. Yeah, she, yeah. she is hiding sherry, which is disgusting. Uh, she is hiding. I think it's cooking sherry, too. <laughs> She's hiding sherry in the toilet. She's got it in. Uh, <laughs> She's got it just hidden everywhere. She's got a book. That's bad. You've got a problem if you've got it hidden in a book. She took a knife to a very large book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my personal favorite character is Barb, played by Margot Kidder. Uh, she is a full-blown hot... She's what we would call in our generation a hot mess. She, yeah, in our, in our parlance, hot mess. Back mm-hmm. in the day, a lush. A lush, yeah. <laughs> Kinda, I, I guess. I think it's funny that um, maybe it's just me reacting to Maru Kidder because she's like the big one that I recognize in the cast. I saw John Saxon's name and I got real excited. I did too. I didn't even know like he was, was the be last there. name. It was like an and John Saxon, mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, he's not gonna be here right away. He'll be but here later. Even yeah. if the movie sucks, I'm gonna get John Saxon. <laughs> he's gonna be just like later. Calm down <laughs> But like early on, um, maybe it was maybe it was because i fixated on her but i was it felt like she was being framed as more of an important character than she ultimately would be um but then again you know she's she's the you know the lady that's thrown back all the booze and is kind of the loudest person in the room she's the loudest personality in the movie in a lot of ways mm-hmm. she's having a grand old time with this role yeah she's really taking it for a walk and she's She's not making a fool of herself. She's Mm-mm. actually giving a pretty good performance. It's, yeah, kind, it's, of, it's kind of fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess the, the the main thing that's happening is they're kind of kicking the boys. There's some boys over there. They're all hanging out. Looks like people are going to be going home for the holidays. Uh, and I guess they keep getting these... Um, oh, I forgot about uh, Jess, played by uh, Olivia, Olivia Hussey. She's our main character. We're going to be following yeah. her throughout She's the film. In, uh, 
like later days uh, slasher terminology she'd be our final girl mm-hmm. yes she's our final girl uh the magnetic olivia hussey um yeah yeah the we're getting these weird phone calls which i'm which kind of at first i'm like Ugh, okay we're doing a dude making prank phone calls funny enough uh his voice sounds exactly like the voice from the scary movie movies the guy making the prank calls in the scary movie i'm like well that's actually pretty funny that they this might be possibly a callback to that a little bit i mean scream definitely but the, the voice is pretty similar but it's just this jarbled like just uh random words and noises and we give different voices uh and they're all just like just hang up like, dude just hang up the phone you don't have to listen to this but barb you know she's drunk she's having a good time she's just like oh you're stupid this is fucking gross but it, it's kind of weird like he's making all these like weird noises but at the end of it he just says i'm gonna kill you it, it, i'm like it, it's really yeah, it suddenly becomes very lucid yeah um, but before that he's like going all over the place like he sounds like a child at times he's making slurping noises he sounds like a little he sounds like he's giggling sometimes um but that yeah just for that one brief moment he's very lucid and direct just i'm going to kill you it's Goodbye. it's it, it, it's like somebody shot robin williams and he's trying to turn back on <laughs> that's the best way I can think. <laughs> somebody found the switch <laughs> on the back of his neck <laughs> it's just like oh turn him off turn him off <laughs> <laughs> but um one thing I, I want to draw attention to for that scene is that she's the one holding the phone and she's kind of the one that's allowing things to carry yeah. on for as long as they have been. Uh, but we get this really effective scene where the camera just slowly pans across all the girls' faces. And we see that, you know, she's pretty well lit and is probably not feeling as threatened as the rest of the girls are. Um, but the looks on their faces really suggest that, like, they're not enjoying hearing all this. Um, and it's a slow pan, and we get to see all the faces that we'll be seeing throughout the entirety of the film. And it's interesting just to see, like, yeah, that pr- that probably would be kind of creepy because it, it's truly, truly vile stuff, to be honest. Yeah, um, pardon my French, but he says cocks mm, cunts. <laughs> like he's dropping, <laughs> he's dropping the heavy C a few times. I know we jokingly we were saying it last week, but it was with a British accent, so it was a different kind of C word. But like. He's dropping the American C word, which is one we, we, we're not really privy to. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're not really allowed to use that one. Yeah. Kind of, it's upsetting. Cause yeah. It is kind of, it is, it has that punch to it where it's like, <laughs> it would be nice if I could, you know, throw, throw it out there every once in a while, but I know better. We have words that we're definitely not supposed to use. That's more of a, we prefer you not use it. <laughs> yeah. It's best. It's just best to keep it out of your vocabulary. Just put it out of your mind. No, I say it when I'm I'm playing Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, video games. That's different. Yeah. Like if if video games and competition are involved, oh yeah, that one gets pulled out the holster all the time. If you can make it through Mario Kart without calling Donkey Kong's fat ass the c word, <laughs> good fucking luck. <laughs> Uh, that noise, the burp, 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 burp. <laughs> Rainbow Road, you're gonna hear it. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you are gonna hear it. You are Blue gonna shell? hear it. Blue shell. Oh, ah! <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yep. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this movie, um, very efficient right out the gate, um, because after that, like, uh, no joke, within the first ten minutes of this film, we get a fatality. This is the most unsettling one. Like, this was fucking yeah. creepy. Yeah, um, 
I, I mentioned it before, but this is this is not a particularly gory film. Uh, there is blood. There is certainly violence. Uh, it's mostly suggested violence. Mm-hmm. Um, Classic. But, yeah, but it's still very, very effective and certainly chilling, especially this initial one because mm. it's it's done in a really insidious and awful method. Or um, so we have the ga- we have this girl uh, Claire that mm-hmm. uh, she has. She's only in the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, I thought she looked kind of like a uh, Allison Hannigan. Um, <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but just based on the construction of her face and uh, her expression during the, the prank phone call, um, we kind of gather that she's she seems kind of innocent, and she's looking for the cat. I forget the cat's name, but um, I, I'm amazed I forgot the name, actually, because there's multiple scenes of people yeah. calling out his name repeatedly. Buddy or something? I'm not sure. I mean, it's... Somehow I remember Jonesy from Alien, but I can't remember this guy. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, she's looking for the cat, and she goes up to her room, and we get a POV shot from her closet, and I think we can barely make out like a hand from behind some uh, like plastic bags that you put like coats or dresses in on uh, clothes hangers. You well, the, the only reason why we know he's back there really is we get his point of view from behind there. So. You can bear like you can barely make anything out, but there, yeah, I think there might just be a little something that gives him away. That I, I think I saw his fingers like pressed up against the material, but it's it's barely visible if yeah. at all. Um, but yeah, he charges out of the closet and just wraps her head up in one of those plastic bags, and uh, there it will remain for the entirety of the film. <laughs> well, what makes it so creepy is that we get the shot of the closet and we just kind of hold on it, and she's like. Who's there? And she keeps getting closer and closer. I'm like, run! <laughs> Get out of the house! Like he's gonna fucking kill you. It. I found it to be very, very creepy. Yeah, um, the editing there is pretty masterful kind of stuff mm-hmm. because they take their time with it. Where because we keep cutting back to his perspective and we can hear his breathing and whatnot, it becomes a matter of like, well, you could make a move on her any time. Why don't you just do it? But yeah. he waits and waits and waits, <laughs> and then boom! And uh, yeah, it, it's a uh, it's pretty shocking, and it happens within the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, the uh, we don't have much music. Uh, it only kind of happens when we when we either know it's the villain we're looking at, or like occasional moments of violence. And this is where we first get it. And what did you think about the little music? The little music here and there. It's awesome. Thank you. Uh, it's yeah. incredibly minimalist. Um, I don't know this composer, but I'll just give credit to him. His name is Carl Zittwer, and I want to say uh, I I thought of like a some like some kind of zither or like a harpsichord or something. Um, I want to say he like opened up a piano and was just like stroking things across the strings or something to make weird, just like strange vibration noises. Because mm-hmm. um, it it really just sounds like like I don't know. It, it really fits the mood because a lot of times the only times like you said when we'll get music is either during a killing sequence or during like a suspenseful sequence where somebody suspects something's going on in the house but like I said they never really figure out anything that's going on mm-hmm. so they'll just be like looking across a darkened room or maybe the camera will be panning across the room um, in anticipation of the killer making a move or something and you'll just hear this like creepy harp noise of just a zing. Yeah, and then just it. That's it. That's it, all. It, it's so effective. It works really well. Yeah, we uh, we get we meet Mrs. Mac. She comes in. She's like the house mother, and she just starts chugging sherry all over the place. 
Um, think yeah, Claire Claire's already Claire's already dead. Uh, I think he drags her up and he drags her up into the attic and puts yeah. her in a chair. Yeah, during the party we get POV shots of him coming down from the attic, which just has a ladder up into this little hatch. Um, and he's like looking down at everyone from the top of the staircase. But yeah, he somehow pulls her up in there. That's that's rough. Like, mm-hmm. You gotta be a fucking firefighter to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like haul a woman up a ladder. A she, dead woman, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah a she dead only. Woman up a ladder. <laughs> I mean, she weighs about as much as Linda Hamilton, but still, that's that's ninety five pounds of dead weight. You have to take up a ladder. So. <laughs> yeah, a killer found dead in attic, suffered heart attack, <laughs> carrying a woman up ladder. <laughs> Shit out his intestines. <laughs> Lifted with his back. <laughs> yeah, got a hernia moving a dead body. <laughs> but um, one thing that's really cool. Um, and this this again <laughs> speaks to how tight the uh, the script is here. When Mrs. Mack arrives, we get uh, lip service paid to the door, the front door being a problem. Mm-hmm. It gets stuck, uh, and that that's like a running plot point throughout the entirety of the film. That uh, by the time you get to the final act, it's like the door's not working right now. Mm-hmm. So like Olivia Hussey, instead of running out the front door as she was told to do, can't because yeah. the door's stuck. Um, and I, I really like that. It's introduced here in the very first scene, Mrs. Max at the door, and they're like, oh, we got to let her in because she can't open it. Yeah, it's like that French dude from The Patriot came in and was like, I want accuracy and precision. <laughs> uh, sorry, that was on the other day. I just love that part. Ch- Chucky Cario. Ch- yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we don't really know anything's happened. Uh, it kind of floats into the next day. Nobody even knows she's missing. Um, it takes a while for them to pick up. But we meet... Uh, uh, Claire's dad. He's just kind of like standing in the middle of the road, I guess, waiting for her. I guess he was supposed to meet her, and he gets fucking leveled by a snowball. I, I had to take the headphones out. I was almost crying laughing. <laughs> it was just so unexpected, and it's in a bad spot. It's under the glasses at the eye. I mean, that's an interesting little detail because that happens in a Christmas story exactly the oh, same yeah. way, where it gets behind the glasses, like. Oof. I don't know if this director's a sadist yes. or something, or he has something out for people with glasses, but uh, yeah, he made poor Ralphie eat a fucking snowball behind the glasses. I think he, because uh, I th- I think the director uh, probably beat the shit out of somebody who did this to him, because uh, if he's putting it in two movies, and both movies, when it happened in Christmas Story, there was definitely violence that uh, that happened after that, and then this... <laughs> Did you hear what he said? <laughs> yeah, he's Joe Pesciing. Um, yeah, and then this movie, which is a violent film where somebody gets hit in the eye, I'm like, yeah, I think he probably knocked the shit out of some kid for doing that to him. It's an oddly specific detail mm-hmm. to pop up twice in someone's filmography. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't piece that together. You're absolutely right. Um, but yeah, he's waiting for his daughter, and he's just kind of like pacing about in front of the university, and apparently he was supposed to meet her, presumably to like take her away for the, the Christmas, holidays. Christmas, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he happens across somebody that was, was this uh, Dave? Or was this no, just, this some, is just some bus dude. driver guy? I thought, yeah. It, yeah. Is this a, I think this is a Catholic, is it a Catholic school? It seems like it. It looks like a Catholic school. Yeah, it seems like it. Um and he just gets some random passerby. I think it's like the bus driver to let him know, like, oh, like your daughter belongs to what sorority? It's right over there. Mm. Um, and this begins an interesting uh, process for the film that I don't know if you were paying attention to this kind of stuff. Like, I had a lot of fun with it. I, I didn't really 
put any of my eggs in any baskets, but I was having fun like theorizing as I was watching the movie uh, as to who the killer could be. Um, because by the time we get to the end, it's irrelevant, which actually makes for a better experience. But um, Mr. Harrison, Claire's dad, for certain, I, I was suspicious of until things started happening where he was, you know, he had a he had a valid alibi where he was not there or whatever. You know, I didn't start thinking about it until we started having red herrings. Then I started, or until we until we develop a red herring. So yeah. I didn't really think about it until then. I like I was under the assumption that it didn't matter. I'm like this is just happening, and it's not so much who's doing it. It's like what's being done. Like we need to well, figure out what's actually happening. What, what got me thinking on that track was that the the obscene phone calls, of which there are many, too many to mention. Honestly, I, a lot of them have to do with like. You know, talk saying some awful things to women specifically, mm-hmm. like slut, whore, that kind of stuff. Um, and it just so happens when Mr. Harrison gets to the sorority and he meets up with Mrs. Mack, um, you can tell right away he he has some words about like I didn't send my my girl to this college to you know sleep around with oh, boys and get drunk and stuff. He's a judgmental church bitch. Yeah. 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 He he's very judgmental, and you can tell he's not comfortable with with the way things are going in, in this building because mm-hmm. there's like obscene posters everywhere that he's you know shooting some pretty nasty looks at mrs mac about yeah and i was like hmm well he's kind of uptight like maybe you could swing that but you know this was so early in the movie that i was, I was just filing it away it's like mm-hmm, mr harrison's kind of weird there is a everybody's ga- a little bit weird in this movie yeah <laughs> uh no i wasn't thinking about who who could be who could be guilt like who could be the the killer just yet um but I do want to just touch on one of the f- the one of the best gags of the film. Like he goes into Claire's room and, and the dad, and he's just like, "Yeah, I don't know if I approve of this, and I plan to do something about it." And he's just like, "This is you know just unacceptable." And then Mrs. Mack notices there's a poster with a with a bare ass on it, and she just <laughs> puts her hand on it, but she maintains like through the whole conversation, just maintains. It's such a funny gag how she just stays there and finally gets out of the room and then he just moves the door and sees it. It's, it was a fun gag. Mrs. Mack is pretty she's pretty funny. Like she's pretty she funny. she doesn't eat up too much screen time. It is a little weird. Um Eli Roth has seen this film. Like I'll tell you that much. Um <laughs> yeah. Eli Roth knows and loves this film because there's some strange bits of humor in the early goings that feel totally out of left field. They don't really they don't contribute anything to the film. They're just kind of non sequitur gags. Yeah. Um, but they're there, <laughs> and you know, honestly, it's not the worst waste of my time. I, like I mean, Mrs. Mrs. Rolf, Mack so. brushing her teeth and then washing it down but with booze cherry, didn't yeah. have to be in the movie. It didn't have to be in the movie, but somebody thought it was necessary. Yeah, so. it's still funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny, but um, yeah, she, God, she kind of reminds me of a the chef lady from Gremlins Two. I haven't seen that one yet. I think, oh, I think she cooks with sherry too. (laughs) Like they they share a drink of choice. (laughs) I think it was it was a popular it was a popular beverage. I think it was kind of a a running joke for maybe the for homemakers. It's like oh gosh, like just drink some cooking (laughs) sherry. This well, as as the Gremlins two lady said, some people use a little. (laughs) I use a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah. I guess what's what's gonna happen? They're they're gonna go do something uh, with uh, Mrs. Mack. I think she wanted to like. She needed a ride to the, somewhere. 
and he she was gonna go ride somewhere but she was saying like hey maybe she's with her guy friend or something yeah and, yeah and we happen to have a fraternity that you know we have a connection with maybe along the way you can drop me off and so she you know gets a ride out of there um but i think they end up going to the police station to file like a missing persons report um but in the meantime we have a, a b-plot going on um with jess and uh, mm -hmm. and dave i'm sorry i'm just gonna call him dave because he's dave from 2001 that's literally the only thing i know him from i even have him written down as dr dave bowman in my yeah. notes so yeah dave it's it's just easier it's it, more it's more it's fun dave, this but but folks at home if you haven't seen this movie but you know who we're talking about um the man has magnificent bone structure by the way yeah he's like a he's like an early kyle mclaughlin yeah i was thinking uh vigo mortensen and christopher mm. reeve had a had a boy mm, that's too much chin but i know you, i know you're going yeah i know what you mean but yeah, magnificent bone structure. But what what's strange about this movie is you know Dave, Doctor Dave, has you know pretty close cropped hair. He's got short hair. In this though, he's he's all sorts of shaggy. <laughs> he's rocking the turtleneck most of the time. He is, yeah. Uh, he looks really different to the point that I, I wasn't certain it was him until I looked it up. Um, but yeah, he and uh, his character's name is Peter, by the way. Um, Dave or Dave depending on what we choose to go with. but Dave. Yeah, we'll go with uh, Dave. Dave and Jess, uh, they have a little situation. Mm -hmm. And I believe this was hinted at the night before. because she was. She's like, I need to talk to you about something, yeah. And he was like, oh, I haven't been to bed in like three days because I'm practicing for a piano recital. Yeah. And I'm stressed out about it. Uh, can we talk about tomorrow? And she's like, oh, yeah, sure, we can talk about tomorrow. And so they talk about it tomorrow, the day of his recital. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she drops the biggest bomb hey man. she possibly can we've, we've been there like it's time for bed and like oh okay i'm gonna lay my head down oh it's happening now okay all right let's let's do this yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i okay, feel you dave all right <laughs> i, I want to say yeah in most situations like that okay and all right are the words of choice mm -hmm. but tone <laughs> tone is the key <laughs> yeah yeah, tone, tone and the number of lip smacks. Then. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> She's like, I'm sorry, Dave, but I'm pregnant. And he's like, What? You're pregnant? And I guess I'm going to have an abortion. Uh, which I, I thought that she was just going to dump his ass, but they, they're having this conversation. Come to find out she is pregnant and she does not want to keep the baby. Um, and. Not necessarily this conversation. It's the conversation they have later. I think is really important. But yeah. th I mean, this is, we're burning brawls at this time. Like this is this is a new topic, and uh, it was interesting that they he they ch he chose this movie. horror movie aside. But this was the like this was something that he wanted to discuss in the film, and it was just yeah. interesting for the time. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of daring. It's kind of adventurous. Um, this was not stuff that would pop up in just any movie, let alone a psycho killer movie mm -hmm. <laughs> like a trashy psycho killer movie at that but um yeah apparently the director wanted to make a little bit of a statement like he he wanted to go the extra mile and actually add depth and character to to these young people because in his mind he was like you know young people are people too and may not make the most informed decisions but they're still people well, uh one thing was like i was watching them uh I was watching with headphones in. Steph was watching her Christmas movies on her laptop. Uh, just because of timing, that's how I had to watch it. And 
like some of the things he was saying he's like how can you make this decision you haven't even consulted me and i'm like stuff you are not gonna like this <laughs> yeah just turn the screen away so she can't see the subtitles just in case <laughs> yeah you're not gonna like what he's saying well i mean just just point to the 1974 next to the titles see different time different time. yeah and <laughs> I, I i can't imagine how frustrating it must have been for somebody in that position like i've made my decision this is what i want to do and you have somebody that's trying to control like no you can't do that like i I forbid you from doing it and i'm like i'm not even a person getting an abortion i'm just like ah oh i want to choke you (laughs) i want to choke you dave it's not your choice (laughs) jesus yeah um but yeah i believe we end up at the place the police station at some point and uh this is where we get introduced to uh the guy at the front desk is mm. the, worst, the worst cop that ever copped. He, <laughs> he looks, in his facial structure, he looks like a skinny John Cena. He's got the same dumb nose as John Cena. Yeah, All if, I get, if, you, if you just cut out the face with yeah. no hair and no ears. It's John, John Cena. Cena has, yeah, 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 you're kind of right. Uh, uh, but this guy is terrible. He's, oh, he's uh, fucking great. Uh, Sergeant Nash, by the way. And you know what? Good on the director. He gives you uh, a few bits of comedy where he doesn't hold your hand. He lets you piece it together. And this cop is the is the uh, he's the butt of a pretty good a pretty good laugh for me. Um, it was kind of contagious laughter. Uh, you'll you'll know when we get to it. I mean, it's so contagious to the point that the character is actually named after his laugh. Yeah. <laughs> the person yeah. doing the laughing in that scene. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sergeant Nash, uh, he he helps out our uh, our Mr. Harrison, I believe, uh, Mrs. Mack and uh, Margot Kidder are there as well uh, in filing this missing persons report uh, for Claire. Um, and Margot Kidder kind of like takes him for a ride with a mm-hmm. with a, a with a dirty joke. Uh, she gives him a phony address, yeah. <laughs> and it's at his expense, and then some. It will pay off later. Uh, she pulls um, a beer out of her coat pocket. Uh, she starts drinking in the police station, which is a red flag. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty bad. But um, I forget. Do we meet John Saxon here? Uh, no, he doesn't. I don't think he comes in until uh, a little bit later. I think, I think you're right. Like they they hold him back. Literally. They hold him back. No, we're we're not. You're, you people are not ready for that just yet. <laughs> not quite because we have to get to the piano part. Because then my next thing is best John Saxon toupee. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, the piano part is is pretty interesting because this is where the uh, the the groundwork starts to get laid for Peter potentially being our killer. Uh, at least that's that's what the movie wants you to start thinking at this point because we see him as recital after being told that oh hey my girlfriend's pregnant and she's going to terminate the pregnancy, um, and he sucks. Uh, I was going to say it is overly ominous dissonant like there's dissonance in it in the playing and he looks like he has diarrhea that he's been holding in for 10 minutes and is and he is sweating holding in this shit like <laughs> and you can just see that the judgy dudes are just like mm, this is derivative uh, this yeah, is. I, I couldn't see the bench but i don't think he was actually sitting on it i think he was just like floating holding. over it doing a squat yeah he was yeah he does not look healthy. I thought he was going to pass out. Uh, it looks pretty gross. But yeah, it, this song's awful. It was terrible. He deserves to not to not go to the... What did they call it again? The observatory. Uh, yeah, conservatory? I conservatory, think? yes. It threw me off because I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Like, 
It's like you look into stars and yeah. the piano. <laughs> like, <laughs> wait, you're what a, kind of Renaissance man? Are you? <laughs> you're an astrophysicist, but you play piano. I don't. I don't understand, dude. Is that is that extracurricular? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> oh man, my next note is John Saxon toupee, and then Jesus Barb have some coffee. Uh, we, uh, yeah, I, I think we get introduced to John Saxon um, via. A not it's barely even a C plot, but it's actually just a fun little detail on the side where um, we have a different woman filing a missing person's yes, report. Yes, it's about a younger girl who we never see in the film, not even their dead body. Spoiler mm. alert! Um, but she, <laughs> yeah, she you, really, you really gave that one away. <laughs> <laughs> that was intentional, but um, yeah, she's filing a report, and she has the pleasure of getting to sit at the desk of one handsome debonair john saxon wearing his mm-hmm. finest toupee like there's, uh, there's a story i told film? kyle a long time ago that um showing up on the set of a nightmare on elm street um, mm. john saxon approached wes craven with a suitcase with two toupees in it he was like hey wes should i wear the one that makes me look old and distinguished <laughs> Or do you want me wearing the one that makes me look young and hot? <laughs> uh, side question. How did Rob Zombie not get John Saxon to play the sheriff in the Halloween remake instead had Brad Dourif? I mean, from an aesthetic standpoint, John Saxon is too handsome for Rob Zombie. He's too clean, you know? I suppose. He likes that, grit, he likes that gritty grime. Yeah, Brad Dourif you know? definitely looks like he smells. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. I've I seen Jack, John Saxon in his final years. He, he was still. Start, he was, man. yes. I saw it too. Well, yeah, he was yeah. still very handsome. Yeah, his, his speech was a little stilted, but man, those eyebrows, they don't quit. <laughs> so, yeah, from an aesthetic standpoint, I'm sure he was in the Rolodex, but he's like. Maybe someday, but not... <laughs> like, we'll get to you, John. And then he passed away. And he's like, mother fuck. <laughs> I'm sure Quentin Tarantino probably wanted to work with him, too. But oh, yeah. That never came to be, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, we get introduced to John Saxon. Uh, imported from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Beverly Hills Cop 3. I'm there. I wasn't making that up. You know, I've never seen that one. I've, that's the good? only one I've seen. Is oh. Beverly Hills Cop 3. Strange. I don't know okay. why. I've seen the first two, but yeah, for whatever reason, I, I think that one came out a little after the other two. It did. There was a there was a lull, a lull between yeah. two and three. It's fun. I enjoy it. Well, I mean, John Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this uh, other missing persons report uh, figures into the plot in the form of um, them doing like a a like organized whole town search of mm-hmm. like a park area. So John Saxon like gets the whole town together, and uh, Mrs. Mack and Phyllis and uh, Mr. Harrison are all there, and they all like march through the park, and it all results in them finding mm-hmm. uh, a little girl dead. Um, that may I don't know, maybe there's some censorship at work, but we never actually see the body. But it's interesting uh, because from an audience standpoint, it's like, oh, we found a dead person, but not the dead person mm-hmm. because claire is still dead in the attic and no one knows where she is or even that sh- even that she's dead <laughs> yeah and that's part of that's part of what makes this film so interesting is the the flow of it is is very unique yeah um we kind of get back to the house and um claire's dad's just kind of still chilling there like they're not quite ready to give up barb is fucking tying one off 
at dinner. Like, I mean, it's probably like seven o'clock at night. She's shit housed. Uh, this is where I was like, have some coffee, Barb. Really? <laughs> and I think she, this is where she's kind of like, you guys are going to blame me. You're going to blame me for her being dead. And like, dude, no one's saying she's dead. So, yeah, and her dad's right, right there. there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I'm not sure. What ha- I think we there, there's quite a bit of moving parts coming up next. Like there's a lot going to go on. Well, I, we, there's like an ABC plot here there's, going on yeah. where, where we have Dead Do- Girl in the Park, we have Jess and Peter, we have Claire. Yeah. We, we have a lot going on, which is admirable. Like yeah. for for this kind of movie, that's a lot of moving pieces. And again, we're we're invested in all of this pretty equally. Like none of it feels like extraneous, for example. But yeah. um, the key point that comes from that whole exchange is Barb tells a dirty joke that nobody laughs at mm-hmm. she gets pissed off and marches up to bed where she will remain for the entirety <laughs> of, of her, her life <laughs> <laughs> of her life <laughs> um but yeah mr harrison i believe he he hangs out there he's you can tell he's disturbed mm-hmm. i i still had one eye kind of like i don't trust this guy. No, i don't no, trust no. this dr wiley motherfucker <laughs> i thought he seemed genuine uh this I mean, is where yeah. i ha- go ahead Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, like, I, I believe we all head to the police station again. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, oh, yeah. uh, Jess gets another phone call, I think. Okay, let me, I'm, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this through this real quick. Okay, so Jess, Jess and Dave are supposed to be meeting up. She's helping with the search, and she goes back early so she can uh, meet up with Dave, and this is where she gets a phone call. Meanwhile, Phil, I believe Phil goes to uh, meet up with Claire's boyfriend, who's playing hockey, they go to the police station, and he raises a fit in his mink coat, by the way. Uh, yeah, I know. Did I you know catch that? that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was... Hmm. Yeah. And Maybe it was the style at the time. It was, <laughs> but I didn't think dudes were wearing mink coats, you know. I mean... I mean uh- Maybe like a prize fighter or a mafiosa, but not just some Canadian dude <laughs> playing hockey. I don't know. He could beat ass. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, it comes with the territory, but you know, it was the style of the time. Just leave it that. If I saw a <laughs> hockey player wearing, if I knew he was a hockey player and he was wearing a mink coat, I'm not gonna say shit. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut. Not. <laughs> keep my mouth shut. Uh, but he goes to raise a little bit of hell with that. Uh, doofy uh police officer and this is where john saxon gets involved a little bit more but yes claire gets another phone call uh while we see uh dave sitting outside the house actually i'm sorry we don't see dave sitting outside the house we see somebody with dave's silhouette come to the house and sit outside yeah um i think this is where i noticed that uh we we see him and the time between him and and our next pov shot uh, something about the the relationship at the time between those two shots kind of keyed me in on the fact that oh it's not him, um, but they do a pretty good job like if you're really not like laser focused on things, of keeping you suspicious of him because mm-hmm. he's a weird motherfucker. <laughs> like, he is. Yeah, he's got he's got issues of his own. Um, he's a strange. Not, not, and, he has a strange and misplaced intensity. It's it, it's much. like festering and you're just not sure where it's gonna go. Well, what's interesting, though, is that Jess does have dialogue, like, mentioning that, yeah, he, he is weird that way. Like, mm-hmm. This is known to her, but no one else in the cast, which is important. Like, that's the key detail, is that only she is aware of that, and she's not there at some key points in time that were information that would have been useful to me yesterday. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, are you saying that he's... Well, you need to talk to me about this baby thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say nothing about no baby. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, she she gets another crank phone call, and it's another pretty awful one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe uh, she has her confrontation with Dave mm-hmm. right before John Saxon arrives because they cross they cross paths as he's leaving. Um, but this uh, this sit down conversation, this like fireside chat that two of them the two of them have is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Where he comes at he comes at her spitting hot fire. Um, he's like, "Hey, Jess, let's get married." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, buddy, 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 buddy." Uh, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I think she was gonna she was trying to dump you earlier, basically. Um, but yeah, this was. Uh, it's kind of a, a platform for the movement, like just a way for them to like to kind of clear clear things up. He's like, "Let's get married." He's like, "I'm gonna leave school and we can get married." She's like, "But I still have things I want to do, and I'm not gonna be able to do them if I just go run away." So, no, I don't want to do that. I'm sorry, I didn't say it the right way. No, Dave, I don't want to do that. Yeah, it's actually it's pretty impressive because the the movie like takes a second um she gets her own camera angle mm-hmm. <laughs> where we get a slow zoom as she's like laying it to him straight and uh he doesn't take it well um i believe we cut away for just a second and when we come back he's in the process of breaking a christmas ornament uh so yeah he doesn't handle it well <laughs> uh when does he take the he i think after he fails his recital he takes uh, a microphone stand to the piano Yes. We forgot to mention uh, that. I, I, I believe it's after this. <laughs> oh, it's after. Oh, it is after this. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, because she, she does explain to the police later um, when they start to become suspicious of him that... Um, <laughs> oh, my God. What am I thinking of? Uh, fuck, Kyle. Maybe you can help me out. I don't want to say it's like an Adam Sandler movie or something, but hmm. some, somebody has a crawl space or something. Oh, it's Seinfeld. It's oh. Seinfeld. Uh, he has this old like high school buddy or whatever that runs out into the woods when he gets upset. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that one. It's it's a it's an episode where uh, they have like a van, and they take it out in the woods. <laughs> mm. um, anyway, he has Kramer. A you're that, saying right? When, I, I forget who it was. You said van friend who runs into the woods. I'm like that's I, that's I'm got Kramer written all. Completely <laughs> botching this. I'm completely <laughs> botching this, but I do remember for like I know this for certain that Seinfeld has a childhood friend who gets upset. <laughs> And has a reputation for running away into the woods, and so he has to like go hunt him down. And uh, Dave in Black Christmas, uh, his woods are the conservatory. Yes, so he like he runs and he runs and goes and bangs on the piano when he's upset, and just knows this. And uh, instead of going and playing the piano, though, we do see him go up there and obliterate this piano with a music stand and the whole time I'm like that's not yours it's not not yours yours. and the way he's doing it he's not enraged like he's not you've you've seen people get pissed off and destroy something yeah he's not doing that it's very calculated like it's almost like he's dead behind the eyes doing it which is really creepy well it adds to the characterization where it's Mm -hmm. like hmm maybe maybe there's something wrong with him and also it's like he was pretty he was pretty ready to just like drop everything and run away with her. So it's it's yeah. kind of like he's closing a closing the book on the piano, I guess. This film kind of feels like a PSA for serial for like for women at the time. It's like, listen, women, men are men who are serial killers are going to exhibit some red flags. Okay, this guy has those red flags. Now remember, <laughs> if you're dating a guy who takes a microphone stand to a piano that isn't his, that's a red flag. 
picturing a like a airline pamphlet. Yeah. Like with with diagrams of someone smashing something with a music stand. <laughs> if a man comes up to you and says his arm is broken and he needs help moving something into a van, run for your life because that's the last thing you'll see before you die. <laughs> If you meet a stranger and he refers to someone you ask him about as a big, big fat person, a <laughs> big old fat person, maybe don't go inside. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I was actually quote that was an Ed, Ted Bundy move. Oh, uh, I know that. Yeah. I okay. Sure. Actually, I'm saying Ted Bundy was relevant to this too because he broke into a, a, a sorority and I think he attempted to kill three girls. I think he only killed two and ended up uh, injuring a third. I believe. Don't quote me on that, but. He, he did break into a sorority. Well, this podcast is published on the internet, so I'm sure there are many, many people who will know that information. Also, <laughs> yes, because uh, true, yeah, true crime podcasts make up the majority of podcasts. About 99% of them, from goes, what I gather. It, the Holy Spirit is, uh, it, the, the Trinity is uh, X-Files, movies, true crime. Uh one thing I was going to mention was uh, I was watching them go into the police station and the, the police officer was like, yeah, it's not a missing person yet. And I'm like, dude, I listen to a true crime podcast. It's a missing person. There, There's no people out there. There's no time limit. You can report a missing person at any time. There's not. It's you had to wait 48 hours. Now, get out. Report it. Uh, but Sorry. Yeah, we go back to the police station for a second. And, uh, John John Cena cop gets uh, laughed out of the room here. Oh man! John Saxon <laughs> asked to see the address because he wants to go. I forgot about it. I it took me a minute. I'm like, what the fuck are they laughing about? Like, oh, fellatio. Yeah. So Margot Kidder gave him the uh, the address, and yeah, it was like one two three fellatio fake street or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, Obviously didn't know what she was talking about. Um, he did ask her to spell it, though. So oh, yeah. Definitely didn't know what she was talking about. I was shocked she knew how to spell it. Not just because of her character. <laughs> because uh, we, we kind of joked back and forth last night. I'm like, she's not going to class. She, she's no. absolutely not going to class. Her GPA no. is 1.8. <laughs> yeah, no, I theorized that she dropped out a long time ago <laughs> and, just, and just decided to keep living in the sorority house. She's doing what Rob Lowe wished he could have done in St. Elmo's Fire, yeah. <laughs> By the way, how the fuck did he get into that into that school anyway? I mean, he's Rob Lowe. He's yeah. a handsome man. I mean, oh, we were That opens a lot of doors. We were talking about that today. Like Steph, Steph and I almost at the exact same time, there was a football commercial and Rob Lowe is on like some like uh, Fox show We're like holy shit he's still a smoke show <laughs> he's in his absolutely yeah no, if Rob Lowe can still rock it and you know take take 1980s Rob Lowe clean him up give him a clipboard that guy could get some nuclear launch codes if he just asked <laughs> but, but yeah uh, this uh, one two three fellatio joke uh, John Cena cop has no idea um, but he tries to hand this address off, and uh, we get a character that is listed in the credits as Laughing Detective because he is just cackling like a fucking hyena in the corner. And John Saxon's like, what are you laughing at? And then he checks it out, and he gets the joke. And uh, Sergeant Nash, uh, damn, poor guy. He just, yeah. he just cannot I, get a win. But I felt bad I, for him, yeah. It was kind of funny, though, because um, this is me being overly analytical with this movie, but... Um, the laughing detective the the mm-hmm. person on the phone has a laugh that is 
kind of similar to this and it got me thinking you know maybe we're gonna scooby-doo this shit you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like i mean certainly it wasn't him by the time we get to the end but it was interesting just from an audio standpoint and it needs to be said the audio presentation in this film uh there's a lot of attention to detail that's why i asked you if you wore headphones while you're watching it and unfortunately you did not uh i wore headphones when i was watching it and yes uh, I think this is a film that if listener out there, if you're gonna watch it, if you don't have a good surround sound, like a good like speaker system, I highly recommend using headphones because I think it's very important to you actually hear this film. Yeah, there's a lot of creaking around the house. The music is fantastic, mm-hmm. and just the soundscape they create is definitely something that somebody's put some extra time, money, and effort into. Although uh, this could just be the version of the movie I watched on Tubi. Um, Every single time a door closes in this movie, um, it is like it's a crystal clear canned sound effect. Mm. Um, it feels like it was like edited in decades later or something. I don't know what it is about the audio mix, but that that's like one of the only sounds in the whole movie that's just like what? That sounds like that's from forty years <laughs> after this movie was made. <laughs> no, but nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, but it but the rest of the sound in the movie is great, but. Anyway, John Saxon ends up at the house, and uh, we get we plant the seeds for him being suspicious, uh, along with us, the audience of uh, Peter, because they cross paths at the door as he's coming in, and he's like, "Who the fuck was that guy?" <laughs> I, I was, I was, I feel like the the film was maybe, I, I feel like the film was trying to tell me that he was a red herring. Like it, it felt too on the nose, but then I had to keep in mind, I'm like, this is 1974. We we hadn't done this trope to death. Like we haven't like had the person in plain sight the whole time, and we've had to like kind of mix it up a little bit. So I I, I wasn't really sure. I'm like it could kind of go either way. Like this could be an awesome twist where it definitely wasn't him, or it's just kind of telegraphed on the nose. Like no, it's him clearly. Well, thankfully we got the former instead of the latter. Yeah. Um. And yeah, the by the time you get to this the end of this movie, it's it's a it's a wallop. <laughs> like it, it really is a fantastic ending to a horror film but I really liked uh, John Saxon going through the house mm-hmm. he's, he's doing some detecting he's doing some <laughs> detecting and it was really like I, it's kind of sad that this has to be a thought that I have when I'm watching a movie these days but by the time we get to the end of this movie and the cops show up and like the day is saved like it's like it's not it's not the way we make movies anymore. That's not that's not the way those those people are portrayed anymore in film. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's like he's like, you know, nineteen seventies hero cop guy. He's fucking John Saxon. <laughs> like, yeah. He comes in there, but yeah, he's doing some detecting and he's asking a lot of questions of Jess and Phyllis. Uh, Phil, we're both there, and it's kind of neat because he's he's doing a thing where he's repeating himself a lot, but he's doing it because he's trying to see if anybody's tripping over themselves or you know like stating something incorrectly like upon revisiting revisiting that topic mm-hmm. um but yeah they go up to claire's room and everything and they took take a look around and i believe at this point uh, it's decided they're going to install a tap mm-hmm. uh, in the sorority house uh, there's two phones in the building um and this was actually like one of the coolest parts of this movie honestly seeing the way phones work Oh. <laughs> Wasn't that thrilling, Kyle? Uh, no. I thought it was kind of cool. <laughs> like, I'm not being funny. I thought it was kind of cool. It's still magic to me. 
Yeah, it's still real to me, goddamn. <laughs> 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 if you haven't seen that, film, oh man, look it up on the oh. YouTube that, that I want to thank y'all. <laughs> <laughs> that man, he he still believes. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get a, a phone technician come in, and he has to like, he has to like call the relay station, and he has to install this hardware into the phone. And then he has to haul ass back to the relay station. Mm-hmm. And the way this shit works is we have a we have another phone. This is the most John inefficient Saxon thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I know, but that's what's so amazing about it. It got me thinking about a uh, Zodiac. Yeah. Where like oh, there's God. a running theme in that movie of if they had the technology we had twenty years after that situation all happened, it would have been easy. Yeah. If we didn't have to send faxes and like like mail files to each other. If we could just instantly get information to each other if we had the internet everything would be done it would be so easy but because we have to you know make phone calls and play phone tag and have faxes get dropped and shit nothing gets done Mm -hmm. and in this movie the running gag it's not a gag it's actually like a serious part of the drama is that the way we have to the way we figure out where the phone calls are coming from via this phone tap is we have a relay phone on john saxon's desk that he can pick up the receiver and listen in on any calls made to the sorority. Mm-hmm. At the relay station where the phone calls are processed, this fucking techie has to run up and down the aisles of just like endless fields of fucking wires and circuits and shit. It's like the back has... of ten bowling alleys. <laughs> yes, it's yes, very much so. It looks like the innards of a bowling alley. Yeah. And he has to find a literal needle in a haystack. Yeah. He, he, and it's noisy too. Like like all of the <laughs> Yes, it sounds like you're in a fucking newspaper manufacturing plant. And yeah, he has to run up and down the aisles and physically locate a switch that's triggered. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and, I don't know if he's going to be able to pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you could make a game show out of this. <laughs> Just watching this man yeah. try to find the fucking switch. No kidding. Um, so now I know in those older movies that whenever they say keep him talking... Makes sense because now. because some overworked motherfucker has to run oh, yeah. up and down some aisles and find the fucking needle in the haystack. I always forget about Brian Cox in that movie in the Zodiac trying to keep him on the on the line. Uh, every time I've seen that movie four or five times and every time I forget Brian Cox shows up I'm like, oh yeah, he's in here for five minutes. Um, so yeah, we get the phone tap with John Saxon and uh, we get Barb's drunk ass. Uh, <laughs> Barb's drunk ass. <laughs> she finally goes to sleep it off. Like, Barb, you're drunk. Go to bed. She's like, mm, okay. She needs, she needs something to soak up the booze. She needs some french fries or something. But uh, she's laying in bed, and I think our killer uh, starts to creep into her room. I think the deaths that happen in Barb's room, both of them, are excellent. I think the second one is even better. Um, it's, it's very subtle, but we, very effective. We forgot to mention Mrs. Mrs. Max. Ma- My God, we just glossed over <laughs> Hey boys, it's nap time. <laughs> he does a straight up Ace Ventura gag on her. Um, I do like we're, we're this is pretty creepy because anytime somebody goes up in an attic in contemporary horror movies, this is where I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna turn this off. I don't think I can handle this. Going up into attics is like that's one of my things. I'm like, don't don't go up in the attic. Stay out of the attic. I hate it because it's fucking terrifying. You're you putting your head up into exposed space. Like it, it's just it's just scary, but. She goes up there to find the cat, and uh, she ends up getting a, a like a, a hook from like a pulley system uh, right in the throat, and she's just kind of hanging there, uh, 
which is also pretty creepy. She just kind of hangs in the background. And we get some yeah. goofy, like, him kind of destroying the place at some point. Yeah, uh, if y'all, if any of our listeners are familiar with Red Letter Media mm. um, and the Mr. Plinkett videos, it's oh. kind of like watching uh, Mike Staclasa smash things in, in those movies, uh, shot from perspective, or documentaries, rather. But, um, yeah, she gets a hook right in the fucking face, but uh, we don't actually see the impact or anything but we see her legs kicking and uh for the re- remainder of the film yeah uh, sh- she's impaled on this hook that's going through part of her face and we just kind of see her hanging in the background of some shots uh but yeah when he's smashing stuff upstairs uh some of the like the howling and like he sounds like he's crying while he's doing it it's a mm-hmm. uh, it's legitimately kind of disturbing yeah but yeah, um, Mrs. Mac dies a little earlier in the film. Can't believe we skipped over that. Yeah, but, we um, went right past that. <laughs> but we get a, a good chunk of time be- before uh, we get our next kill, and uh, the way it happens is kind of neat, where we're cutting back and forth between the killer creeping down from the attic, as he's been doing repeatedly, and uh, Margot Kidder, Barb, she's asleep in bed, you know, so trying to sleep it off, and uh, Jess goes to the front <laughs> door. She's just kind of been camping out in the in like the parlor i guess did you fall asleep or did you pass out (laughs) i mean i'm amazed she didn't like up chuck at some point in this movie honestly yeah i thought when she was down in the kitchen i thought she was about to throw up i'm like dude she's a veteran they don't throw up i mean i was expecting at least like a a burp puke (laughs) like where you catch it (laughs) but um but yeah, she's upstairs, and uh, Jess has been just kind of hanging out in the parlor. I can't remember if she gets another crank call or whatever, but she's just hanging out in there, uh, sitting by the fire, and she gets some carolers at the door. And she goes, and she just kind of stands there, and she, her face tells me she likes it. I I just would turn off the lights and hide, honestly. That's I would throw I would cold do. water on them, yeah. <laughs> Scat! Let's That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, get a bucket of cold water and dump it on them get the fuck out of here are you kidding me <laughs> carolers <laughs> but yeah she opens the door to them and she stands out there um and in the meantime though the killer uh, creeps into barb's room and uh, he grabs one of her like unicorn glass like she has a death by unicorn yeah yeah it's like a glass unicorn it's like a precious moments but like a clear glass unicorn yeah yeah it looks like something you get at like Something Pot shop. The, Ch- the Chihuly exhibit or something. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a flea market. The flea market. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, he uh, he runs her through the chest with it. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't really see the like the actual stabbing or whatnot, but we do see some kind of like I don't know impression impressionistic shots of like her hands covered in blood, kind of struggling, and like she's reaching out to the glass, and just like the way the light is reflect uh, refracted in the glass ornaments and like her hand kind of dancing around as he's stabbing her it's 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 artful mm-hmm. uh it's it's not overly gruesome or bloody but it, it's definitely gets the point across and we do get a chilling shot of just like his shadowy silhouette looking down on her before mm-hmm. he plunges it into her chest that i was gonna say there, there's another moment where phil and jess are talking i think it's a little like before phil goes into the room and they're talking did you notice that the shadow in the background like he's mm-hmm. kind of hovering and I'm like yep. they made such good use of that and I think this was one of those moments where it would have been perfect where you just see his silhouette we didn't even need to see any light cast it off of his body just silhouette would have been perfect yeah actually that scene with uh, Jess and Phil is pretty great excellent 
you most people probably wouldn't even notice it but yeah he's just hanging out there it's like the fucking strangers i'm like jesus dude like i'm in bed with the lights on i'm like i'm getting creeped out hey i'm getting creeped out over here (laughs) okay rodney (laughs) we were talking about caddyshack earlier he's been noodling my head this whole conversation rapping rodney (laughs) but um yeah so barb's out of the picture and uh, Jess is, you know, you, you can tell she's a good pure soul because she has a crucifix and she tips the carolers. Yeah, she tips the carolers. Who the she fuck? She tips the carolers? <laughs> a, a, like a I'll give you a tip. Get student. the fuck off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I was like, okay. Uh, I don't know anyone who would do that, but okay, cool. I know my reaction <laughs> if I was to be sitting in my room and I was to hear... Silent night. What the fuck? Like, just, <laughs> what the fuck? are you fucking kidding me? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. Jeez. But, uh, we get a, a sprinkling of plot developments uh, over the next few minutes here, where it's nothing too major, but John Saxon talks to Jess over the phone because um, there's a thing that happens every time someone's killed in this movie. The killer makes a call generally, mm-hmm. and he calls and Jess picks up again and she doesn't keep him on the line long enough. This happens multiple yeah. times where they are unable to trace the call. And then immediately afterwards, John Saxon calls the you blew it, gal. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's not he's not good at positive, positive reinforcement. He's just like, you're doing fine. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you be a little bit more praise than that. Build her up a little bit, you know? Jeez. <laughs> I said keep him on the line, you dumb broad. You dumb broad? <laughs> Seriously, he's that close. <laughs> Honestly. Like his face is saying it, even if his lips are. You're obstructing justice by not tell, like not keeping him on the phone long enough. You want to go to prison? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, he reminds her, "Hey, do better." And, uh, <laughs> and uh, she has a chat with Phil, and I believe it's around here where the search party, um, which are looking, they're still looking for Claire. This was an interesting little little tidbit to throw in. I I didn't know what to make of it. It was a fun little detail because it, it made me start thinking in different directions during the climax, mm-hmm. where I was almost half expecting like a, a Night of the Living Dead ending, where she runs out of the house and someone actually accidentally caps her or something. Uh, I thought we were going to have a great horror movie ending where both of our attacker and our uh, gal end up dying. I, dude, they it was there, it was there. <laughs> well, I'm I'm very 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 happy with how this. I'm, I'm. You know what? It ends beautifully. It could have ended another beautiful way. It, it's, well, it's just fine. When we, when we get there, you, you can talk at it now, mm. because Thank I you. do want to hear about that. But um, yeah, uh, a search party comes by and they just like very politely bang well, on the door. And well, they're like waving the into the, they're yeah. like waving into the window with shotguns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're like waving into the kitchen window with shotguns, and they they go to the back door to like say hello. To oh! They explain, <laughs> they explain who they are and why they have guns, and they're they're dopey. They seem non-threatening. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Phil and Jess have a laugh over it, uh, which is probably what they need right now. Uh, yeah. And uh, Phil gets tired, and she heads up to bed, I believe, uh, leaving Jess alone uh, by the phone, uh, which is not exactly where I'd want to be if I was Jess, but. Mm-mm. Um, when Phil ultimately buys it, uh, damn, uh, they show so much restraint. It's kind of perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, 
Go ahead, it's sorry. It's just her going up to uh, Barb's room, which presumably they share a room or something, and the door just kind of shuts. Yeah. Well, she looks behind the door and it shuts. Yeah. Like, just, just, she just looks for a second. Like, I don't know if she backs away a little bit, but it's just enough that you know that he's in the room and it shuts. It's fucking yeah. brilliant. And it's not a slam. It's just kind of like, it moves with acceleration, but it's not like, it's just like, it's that's, fucking a, that's enough out of you. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's really and good. We do see the aftermath, but that's the, that's the entire Neither here nor there. Yeah. Phil's kill. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, probably had to do one more day on the shoot. Um, and then after that, she got to go home. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I believe this is where things start accelerating, where we, we get our massive revelation here, where uh, Jess gets another crank phone call, and this time she's you know determined to keep him on the line as long as possible. But By the way, the, the content of these calls uh, it needs to be said. There's a lot of repetition here. We have some important stuff coming up. Yes, this is an important yeah. call. I, I do want to mention that we do have a cop car sitting out front in front of the house. So there is Correct. a police officer, uh, like the movie Copycat, monitoring the situation. Yeah, John Saxon left a, a officer out front uh, in a vehicle. But um, throughout the entirety of the film, uh, the caller is mostly nonsensical, but he keeps make reference. He keeps making reference to two names in particular: uh, Agnes and Billy. Billy, yes. Yeah, and his voice keeps going all over the place like where he sounds like an old woman he sounds like an old man he sounds like a child he sounds like a you know young man i guess uh it sounds like multiple people speaking at once and in fact it may have been recorded as such um but when you're listening to it it's genuinely unnerving because you can tell this person is completely out of their mind and they don't really care who's listening they're just gonna do what they're gonna do um but yeah there's a lot of repetition of like something along the lines of like uh, mommy no like, he keeps saying like mommy yeah. no it's very strange well, some, somebody knows or don't don't let them find out yeah um so it like it's impossible to pick like put together the whole story but it sounds like maybe there was some something bad that happened between him and like a baby he was supposed to take care of or something yeah and he has a nursery rhyme that he sings that i don't know if it's like a legit one or if they just made it up for the film but it's something about uh, fetching a rabbit skin for Agnes, um, which is what he's like singing to himself when he goes out to kill more people uh, on a couple of occasions in this film. Um, I think this is where he mentions something that he, uh, the killer on the phone mentioned something that was said between uh, Dave and Jess in conversation, and she picks up on it. Yeah, uh, she notices like there's a commonality between something between what Peter had told her before and uh also at some point she does come to the conclusion that it can't possibly be peter because he has an alibi yeah he he snuck up on her in the house at one point in the midpoint of the film uh during one of the crank phone calls but she wasn't on i don't think she was on the phone with the killer at that time she was on the phone with somebody else I can't remember if i think it was actually during a crank call was it He, he snuck up behind her and she has a she tells phil that but I don't believe she tells anyone else See, that. I think she's talking to John Saxon. Oh. Uh, well, I came, I came to the conclusion that because he was physically present when the killer was on the line with her, that couldn't possibly be him. Although, like I said, only she knows that, and she told Phil and no one else, as far as I remember. Anyway, finally, the, uh, the phone technician finally... Uh, figures out where the call is coming from and this is where we get our our big reveal moment 
Uh, the calls are coming from inside the house. Is this patient zero of call is coming in from from inside the house? Uh, it very well may be. Um, I seem to remember like a George Romero movie or something having uh, a situation where some like it wasn't a call coming from within the house, but it was somebody kept pulling the phone off the line and so they couldn't dial out. Mm. So because there were multiple phones in the house, but they occupied the same line. Um, but yeah, I, I'm. I'm perfectly fine calling this patient zero for that particular trope. That's a problem if this is patient zero, because this movie should be referenced more often. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you said it at the top, and you're right. Like this, this is actually a high quality horror film that more people should probably see, because it very seldom comes up in conversation. Uh, um, one thing I wanted to point out uh, that I think it's done really well, and they could have done a little bit more with it, was the cop in the car. Uh, we're not actually introduced to the cop in the car, and I think that would have been a nice character to have a little bit of like a rapport with. Like he's really friendly or something like that, because when we uh, we get back to the house at a certain point when things have sh- shit has hit the fan, uh, they're trying to get a hold of this cop. Like he's like they're trying to get a hold of him because he's at the house, and we kind of just we you and I know what's about to happen, but they just kind of slowly pull up over like from the ground up over into the uh, to the window, and you can see his throat is slit. And I'm like fuck, yeah. that's pretty good. It would have been a nice, like, like Jeepers Creepers, like, coming from behind, like, coming around the corner to see him. But, you know, we didn't get introduced to him, but I think it works. I think it's nice. Yeah, in a in a more classic uh, slasher movie, like, one after the genre had had some time to crystallize and whatnot, this guy would either be a lecher uh, or very friendly, mm-hmm. but most definitely overweight. Um, <laughs> I could either definitely way. pick... Yeah, either way he would definitely be a heavy set fella. Uh, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to say it right now. I think Robert Costanzo would be the man. Right? <laughs> He'd Ooh. be your guy. Robert Costanzo um dis dis my brother Vito from I was, Die Hard 2. I've had Dennis Farina in my mind, but that's the other okay, person. Either one. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> either one. 1974 Dennis Farina. You there can you go. gut Dennis Farina. That's fine. Like <laughs> God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> it's like what's that what's that chicago guy doing up in canada you can <laughs> like, you can it's put happiness it's an app and a skip from there they <laughs> fucked up they should have had dennis farina watching no not dennis farina dennis farina no De- uh, dennis franz franz, franz, franz the yeah. franz that's from yeah. not dennis farina dennis farina no, we, we love we love dennis farina <laughs> dennis farina would have put the knife in the dude's neck oh he, he would have taken his ass out <laughs> the drop oh would that that would be a knockout conclusion of this movie is like the killer sneaks up on the cop in the car and the, the cop just like kicks the door open and beats the beats fuck the out, of out of him in the snow yeah. <laughs> like, the and 70s. then the credits just start rolling as he's punching him it was the 70s he would have had the medal of honor <laughs> for doing that um no, the uh, Dennis Fr- Dennis Franz is who I was Dennis thinking Franz, of. I'm like, yeah, yes. you could have him watching Hannibal Lecter when he escaped. I'm like, yeah, do that to him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like like Kyle had said, um, John Saxon is made aware. Um, by the way, he goes to the conservatory to find the smash piano. So he's de- he definitely believes that Peter is up to no good. I think that we could have. I think this is where the realization they this could have been changed a little bit if we know we know now that it's Dave doing it, him opening the door and turning on the light and seeing that should have been like oh fuck, run back because it's about to get it's about to go down. Yeah, again in in a different film, uh, more likely you know, like I don't know like an '80s or a '90s slasher or something, 
there would be like an orchestra sting and like everything would kick into high gear the moment he's in the house would like yeah. the second that line of dialogue gets spoken like the movie would wow. explode yeah. and then the killer would like jump out of the shadows or something yeah um, but this movie shows a lot of restraint and doesn't do that in fact they let john saxon have a slow holy shit <laughs> like we're trying to take a red pen to an A paper. Like, it's there's nothing that you can really do with this movie. Yeah, I mean, we're just having fun with it, but, you know, um, they've made many, many correct choices in making yes. this film. Just put it that way. For but, a 1974 horror movie, they, they could have made a lot better, a lot of worse choices. <laughs> yeah, they could have really fucked this they up. They could have really messed this up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, John Saxon tries to call the cop in uh in the vehicle out front and that's where we get the reveal that he's dead and mm-hmm. john saxon gives up on trying to call him so he calls sergeant nash <sighs> i love it relay the all-important <laughs> message to jess who is now literally the only person alive in the building aside from the killer uh, unbeknownst to her um being as she doesn't even know that anyone's dead mm-hmm. <laughs> not even claire um, which is kind of fucking cool that we're at the final act of the movie and we've had multiple killings, none of which has been revealed Nobody to anyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sergeant Nash is told by John Saxon. Specifically. Specifically. <laughs> it's like, I want you to tell her to go out front. Do not tell her the killer is in the building. Just tell her to leave the building. And Sergeant Nash somehow manages to fuck that up. I would be shaking with fear if somebody called me and it's like, listen to me very carefully. I need you to do this right now. I need you to walk out the front door. Don't go anywhere else. Just walk out the front door and go to the street. I'm like, I'm so scared right now. That's the longest two seconds of your life is just, because she's right by the front door too. All, literally all she has to do is go out the door. Well, but, I could tell I was invested in this film and enjoying it. Uh, because when she didn't follow any mm-hmm. instructions, and when Nash fucked up, I had a reaction. Oh, I had I, a reaction. I, I was like, "You mother, you motherfucker!" I mean, I, you know, like if I was, if I was like twenty percent more invested, maybe that c word would have come out. <laughs> if, like, if we were in a movie theater, I would have already had the flashlight on me. Like, sir, you have to stop, <laughs> stop yelling in the theater. You have to stop talking to the the fictional dimension that is the film screen. <laughs> but. Yeah, uh, Sergeant Nash calls her, and he tries to do what he was told. He he does try. He he, he does, does a really good job. God damn it, he does a really good job at first. He you know on the first swing, but he has a couple more <laughs> can swings. I, can I do it? Can I do it, please? Please. So so Nash is just like, okay, now Jess, I need you to just just listen to what I'm saying. I need you to go outside. Is there anybody else in the house? He's like, yeah, there's two other people. He's like, okay. I understand that, but I need you to walk out the door and go out the back. He's like, well, why? He's like, it doesn't matter why. Like, I just need you to, to go out the back. Just go out the front door. She's like, but why? He's like, bitch, there's somebody in the fucking house. Get the fuck out. <laughs> He's going to fucking kill you. He's going to kill you. <laughs> just fucking, I'm exaggerating what he says, but he basically just says that. He's like, hey, he, calls he, takes, a, he takes a tone from her. Yeah. Like, he takes a tone with her. Yeah. He gets mad. He He's that kind of dad where you get, you get, you get two chances to... And if he didn't hear you that second time, he's going to flip the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he tells her that the calls are coming from within, within the house, Jess. And she's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And uh, she, fear, yeah. again, though, uh, maybe this is another like subtle bit that actually adds to the flow of the film a little bit. Uh, her 
having the crucifix, her being a strong, independent woman, mm-hmm. her tipping the carolers. When she gets to the front door, she starts yelling up the staircase for Phil and Barb because she's a good person. And, you know, she senses that there's danger afoot and she wants to take care of everyone in the building, not just herself. She's saying it repeatedly. And she's like, I need, she, at one point, she's like, I need you to say something. Like, she's starting to realize, like, they're not going to say anything back. Oh, yeah. She starts screaming at the top of her lungs. And this, like, this was like her, top... mo- this was like her little, her little moment. Yeah. yeah this, this is kind of like a, a reel. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is on her reel for yeah. sure. Uh, although, I, I, would omit it if it was up to me because yeah, she starts doing some hand much. stuff that's a little it's a little much like we um, we mentioned before like she was very big for being in romeo and juliet and, like we we kind of mentioned like she's very magnetic like you're just really drawn to her and i don't know if she's put in like good performances but this but like that moment of her screaming a little bit like eh, i think you can just kind of pull that out yeah i, I would have cut the bit where she starts like making a talon with her hand and like doing yeah. some john travolta battlefield earth shit you know <laughs> stage acting here yeah so she, she she goes big and like the Theater. too big kind of way yeah <laughs> acting, acting. <laughs> uh but yeah uh, she starts screaming up the staircase and like you said no one's answering and uh we obviously know before she knows that you know they did um and then uh she makes the really boneheaded decision to grab a fireplace poker and head upstairs. It's like, lady, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, like honestly, we don't even know. We don't even know what we're dealing with. There, like, maybe, maybe Sergeant Nash just like maybe he should have told her there was a bear in the house or something. Like, <laughs> that would get you to leave. Yeah. Like, Jess, it's let, Canada. They have bears. Jess, let me talk to you for a minute. I've seen a lot of horror movies, and I've seen I could probably count on one hand how many times I've seen the female, uh, the female in the uh, in the horror movie at close range, uh, actually do some damage with whatever she's uh, brandishing at the time. Uh, you know, Shelley Duvall, Shining. She does a pretty good job, but it took a while to get there. The odds are against you, babe. Uh, get out the house. <laughs> I know, I know you're gonna try your darndest, but it's not gonna work. Yeah, uh, it. I. I don't exactly know what her thought process is here, but she's very, very, very determined to save her friends. Uh, she goes up the stairs, and we get some really good spooky house stuff here, where mm-hmm. it's just quiet and creaky. House is creaky. Um, I. I looked down during this part. I wasn't sure how the chase ensued. It's not much of a chase, and that's part of what makes it so cool. Um, because as, as we mentioned earlier, we never actually see the killer in this film. Um, and it's to the film's benefit. That's, that's unique. That's something you don't see very often in movies. Um, and it's done very effectively in this, but she opens the door to Barb's room and she finds the two bodies, both Phil and Barb, like laying next to each other in bed. So, uh, he didn't have time, I guess, to get them up into the attic. Um, but, um, basically I, I believe she comes to, a, a door further down the hallway and a door opens into her i think and it kind of like knocks her on her butt a little bit mm. and we get a single shot that shows some portion of the killer and it's just this really chilling and very effective shot that it's genuinely creepy like i don't, I don't get creeped out by movies very often but this is a very effective shot where it's it's her looking up 
and the killer whispering to her like um i think oh the eye yes yeah and he's saying uh, don't don't tell don't tell them agnes or something mm. like that and he keeps repeating this phrase over and over and over again it's just a shot where it's between it's just a narrow opening in a doorway and then we just see the sliver of light cast over his single eye and his iris is like almost orange Mm -hmm. it's like it's like almost it looks like an unnatural color and his his eyebrows and his eye are kind of twitching he looks excited yeah he doesn't he doesn't look like he's mad or like he's about to lash out he looks like he's having the time of his life but um combination of the sound of his voice and the delivery and the visual of that eye it's it's a fantastic shot Mm mm-hmm um, and I believe he all he really does to her is she takes off running and he grabs her hair um, from between like the banister uh, of the staircase and she falls down but he doesn't hold on to her and she takes off into the basement mm-hmm. um, and he starts smashing up against the door and the noises he makes when he is hitting that door that's it, chilling yeah like, it, it's like it, a wild sound, animal yeah he sounds like a frenzied animal and again the sound is incredible like it's legitimately kind of terrifying spared no expense Um, yeah yeah for real um and may as well mention uh being as we didn't but uh this this character billy uh is played by three different people uh this this is normal for slasher type movies um nick castle for instance and a few other people played uh michael myers in the first Mm. halloween movie but uh nick mancuso uh played the body and the voice um Bob Clark played his shadow and also the phone voice. Um, and Albert J. Dunk <laughs> uh, was the camera operator wearing the POV rig. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, uh, that one shot of the eyeball is literally all we get in the entire film. But she hides out in the basement, and she's still armed, by the way. like She still has a weapon. Uh, and then we get this slow sequence where she's kind of traipsing through the basement of the building... And she sees a shadowy figure through the, like, frosted windows because it's, it's snowing outside and all the windows are frosted over. And they're, like, this figure is, like, pressing up against the glass and eventually comes up to the door and it starts calling out her name. And lo and behold, it's Peter, mm-hmm. who, as Kyle had mentioned earlier, um, is seen multiple times in this film, just, like, camping out like a weirdo outside the sorority house. And then he just the let fucking him... Sn- yeah. In the snow without a coat? <laughs> Yeah, he was just waiting outside for her, then he says he went upstairs to take a nap while he was waiting for her. He's like, I hope that's not I hope that's okay. Yeah, that's what he that's what he did when they had their conversation in the parlor. Um but he left and apparently he just came back and decided to hang out in the snow. Yeah. Fucking weirdo. <laughs> um but yeah, he breaks the window to get in and his line delivery here as he's trying to approach her is like if you, the viewer, are still are still suspicious of him being the killer, um, then you're definitely kind of wary of him here because mm-hmm. his his line delivery suggests that he he has nothing to fear, even though she's brandishing a you know a fireplace poker and is looking like a cornered animal. Mm-hmm. But he just keeps walking up to her and like tell like say, "Hey, Jess, what are you doing in the basement?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, you just smashed a window in a in a sorority house in the basement like do you just casually do that or like (laughs) what (laughs) um but yeah he ends up cornering her and i believe we cut away from that sequence and all the cops show up and uh it's revealed that uh he is dead at her feet Mm -hmm. and she looks dead until the camera gets a little bit closer and her eyes open 
I was about to give a standing ovation when I saw that she was dead on the floor. I'm like, oh my god, they killed both of them. Like, awesome. Yes, fine. I'm fine with that. But she opens up her eyes and she's actually okay. Um, we so I guess I guess it turns out it was Peter. So the ending you were wanting was the the killer killed both of them or they no. killed each other? No. So this was a double. Like the first time I the first time I was watching, it, I'm like, fuck, that's good. But I'm like, they don't have the balls to do that. They don't have the balls to kill both of them. Um, like it would just be like that would be the thing. Like she goes through all this trouble and they go through all this and he still gets her. Um, but I'm like, that's not really great. But I'm like, I would be fine with that. What got me was the second one, uh, where we we have the cops. Um, like she's like laying in her bed, she's exhausted, like she's sleeping, and John Saxon's like coordinating with the other cops and stuff like that. And then Claire's dad's just sitting there, and uh, I don't know what what does it, but he ends up going into shock, like he just kind of passes out, or like like go, almost has like a heart attack or something. And uh, they end up pulling him out, and for some reason they just leave Claire or leave Jess there. They turn off the lights and just leave the house, and I'm like. And they, we just get this shot where she's just sitting on the bed in the dark. I'm like, oh yes, like he's gonna. He it wasn't him. It wasn't even uh, uh, Peter the whole time. It was somebody else. But we don't quite get it. But you could still get it. But I we thought got it. I th- I thought I thought we got it. I but... thought it was a bit ambiguous still. Like I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> you don't, you don't think so I thought no. it was still a little ambiguous. Like we do get the. We get we get like a shot of like looking up the ladder and we see the the thing move, but it's just so subtle that I thought I'm like, is it? Is he still up there? Is it still there? Are you're convinced that he is? I'm gonna take you to school now, Kyle. Okay. <laughs> okay, so um, everything yeah to to quote my cousin Vinny, yeah everything that guy just said is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Opening statement, <laughs> classic film. Uh, so, um, what you're saying about John Saxman clearing the room because Mr. Harrison has he goes into shock and passes out or wherever they carry him out, and then the whole time I'm like, why are you leaving her? Yeah, like w- take her to the hospital or oh they they do actually have this is very efficient writing, they do actually have a line of dialogue saying the hospital is booked up mm-hmm. because because it's a small town because it's booked up yeah. And they're dealing with the teenage girl dying and stuff, which that's that's really good writing. So yeah. they don't take her to the hospital because they have nowhere to place her right now. And they're under the assumption that Peter was the killer. So they think all is good, like she's going to be safe. And by the time we get to the final shot of the movie, which I'll get to, we do have an officer posted on the porch. He's mm. just kind of lollygagging. Yeah. Out but anyway, we shut off the lights. Everybody clears out. She's in bed. She's also in shock and passed out. We get a very slow pan across down the whole hallway. Really awesome shot. Um, very well coordinated. <clears throat> Although, I may have detected a jump cut because they probably ran out of dolly track. Mm. Low budget film, that happens. <laughs> anyway, uh, the camera pulls all the way up to the attic. And like you said, we see the door open just slightly. Um, then we cut to the exterior and we see Claire still in the window with the bag over her head where she's been in a rocking chair just dead the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And we get this awesome pullback, like a reverse zoom, where we see that she is plainly visible. Yeah. Only problem is it's snowing outside and it's it's a very high window, so naturally you wouldn't always look up there. And there's also like a tree nearby too. Yeah. But that's just chilling to know that she's been dead and 
plainly visible the entire time and no ways noticed her. Um, but where I disagree with you is um, we do hear him singing his nursery rhyme, which you you could, I guess, infer that maybe that's just like, I don't know, just something on the soundtrack or something, not mm-hmm. actually him singing. Um, but we did get that shot of the attic door opening. And the very final shot of the movie after we pulled out from Claire in the window is that cop standing on the porch and then the credits start scrolling up from the bottom and the phone is ringing. And I believe John Saxon says that I, I, I believe we established a pattern where when people die in this, calls are made. Mm-hmm. So I believe he got her. Ah, I didn't catch that. I and then he made part. the call and nobody's picking up, but he's still going to, you know, that's his pattern. He makes calls after he kills people. Ah, I see. I didn't so even, I didn't even that, catch that. That's what I think is that he, he got her when all the lights were off and the cop was just outside totally unawares. What I think would have been cool is like I don't think they move the shot. I think it's just it's that same frame with like John Saxon and the guy sitting here. Like everybody just kind of moves around. We still have that that same shot. It would have been kind of neat if it just started to like like move close like in towards her like the way he moves. What what I, mean? what I wanted, and and this, again, a a a plus movie. Like a you said, plus, we're yeah. taking we're taking a red marker to something that doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I was kind of expecting was we do a, a long sustained shot after everybody clears the room and the lights are off and she's in bed what i was expecting was the door to shut oh that would have been fucking great and then, cr- and then snap to black snap to black and then a cheesy Duh. christmas song <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yes. let it snow let it snow let us yeah like a really che- like Bing crosby like something yeah. really upbeat yeah that would have been good baby it's cold outside <laughs> something like that you know yeah. what i mean that um, either perfect. that or uh from the shadows like you see like movement or something just like the slightest amount of movement coming from the shadows much like that conversation in the parlor with phil mm. um but i'm perfectly happy with what we got i thought it was a fantastic ending uh, it's fantastic yes i'm i i i think that if you miss that that phone call i think there's still enough that it can be an ambiguous ending so you can take it either way you want True. Um, i yeah. just i just wish that it was a little bit more no, he's still there. Like a little bit more deliberate, but like, like you said, with the door shut. I think that would have been really good, as if the door just kind of shut. That yeah, just good. like with Phil, but even Simple. more subtle. Just like, mm. yeah, that would have been good. Um, I, it needs to be said. I mean, obviously, we both had a lot of good things. Oh, to we say Chris Farley showed the hell out of this. <laughs> yeah, uh, that hasn't happened all the time, but I'm glad we talked about this movie because this is this is an important bit of film history. Honestly, mm-hmm. like yeah. it's. It's not a it's not a major film by any means, but it should be. Like mm. if you're into these kinds of movies, you should definitely add this one to your watch list if you haven't seen it already. But um, I just want to draw attention to the fact that this movie doesn't have a sequel. No, which is kind of fucking cool. Like, <laughs> like uh, because this is also part of why I can't help but think of it as like a proto slasher. Like that's that's I'm sure that's a term that people use on the internet, but in my mind, that's exactly what this is because. Uh, later proper slasher films it was almost expected that it's like oh they're gonna they're gonna make another one and another one and another one well let's think about it for a sec so like some of the, like the horror franchises from the late 70s early 80s what happens from those original films i would say some of them get better some of them get worse i think that the jason movies get a little bit more fun i think they go in the right direction because i've seen a couple of them now i'm like oh this is just kind of fun the first couple are just kind of eh the no, no, no offense to fans of those films, but I'm just saying. 
But like Nightmare on Elm Street, that first one is good. I like I I legit like that. And I've seen one of the ones after it, and I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, wh- where did this go? Or even I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the strangest, where you go from one to two, and you're like, huh? One is very chilling and unsettling. The second one is just kind of silly. Where do you think this would have gone? Like, would this have like stepped on the gas for the horror con, like the comedy bits, or do you think it would have gotten a little more unsettling? This one, uh, this one's actually maybe a, a decent candidate for what they did with like Halloween twenty eighteen, mm. or it like a many years after the fact well, they story tried to or do something. That. <laughs> they tried to do, and they're I mean, Halloween Kills is I mean they put out a teaser a while back. I'm sure that movie's coming out fairly soon. No, I mean the- it's been done since October, I believe. Black Christmas. They did a, a tw- like a. They, they tried twice. They did twice. There are two oh, remakes wow. of Black Christmas. Jeez. Um, the 2006 one apparently because the 2019 one is so bad. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, yeah. Oh, I've heard some shit to the point that I'm like, maybe I need to see that shit <laughs> because um, this is this is something that Kyle and I talked about before we started recording. But I'm a I have some masochistic tendencies mm. when it comes to my my film diet. Um, I, I do subject myself to a lot of crap. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've seen Battlefield I've Earth. I've seen Battlefield Earth. <laughs> Twice, motherfucker. <laughs> I have a quest for that, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Duly noted. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've heard so much shit about Black Christmas 2019 that I'm like, maybe I do need to watch that. Like, it, it sounds bad in a peculiar way. And that's sometimes that's all I want from a movie. Well, <laughs> it's I, a weird thing to want, but that's sometimes what I'm looking for. I do want to see Verotica, like the, the Danzig Ooh, movie. Yeah. That, that I just, I, a movie with that much bad hype around it, you kind of just have to watch it. Yeah. No, I have heard some shit. Mm-hmm. And as brought to you by Mother. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure, I'll check it out. But yeah, I'll watch it. Um, Black Christmas 2006 doesn't have a stellar reputation, but in light of how bad the 2019 one is, a lot of people are starting to like come give it a it. Yeah, it's like, it's not that it's bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's, it's funny, we're kind of doing that now. It's like, man, these movies really suck back in, like, th- these movies uh, really were bad. And now we're seeing movies get pumped out. Like, maybe we were kind of harsh on those movies back then. <laughs> Well, I I think a big thing that separates this one from like like the Friday the Thirteenth or the Nightmare on Elm Streets and your prototypical slasher films is that we don't actually have an icon to yeah, latch onto. That's the other thing. Whereas the other ones have a mascot, and that's what happened to Freddy. Is Freddy mm-hmm. became the brand because that first movie is it's called A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, it's we not brand. called Freddy Krueger. It it's called A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then a few movies down the line, you know, horror fans are strange folk mm-hmm. <laughs> and at some point it, like the producers got wise to the fact that it's like huh you know all these kids seem to like freddy more than they like whatever story we're trying to tell so let's let's just, just put him freddy in front and yeah. center let's let robert england just you know chew every bit of the scenery yeah. <laughs> um and yeah it became a cartoon at some point because it was just a it was just a showcase for that character yeah whereas this one it's like no like there is no icon to latch on to. It's just a An faceless, yeah, a good film. faceless killer with no motive that we're able to discern. Um, which is, you know, if it had come out in the 80s or something, it's probably why it more than likely wouldn't have been very successful and more than likely also still wouldn't have gotten a sequel. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually disappointed that it took, it took me this long to watch it, but I think, fortunately, I'm at an age where I can actually appreciate this. Because if I had tried to watch this when I was younger... 
I don't think I would have. I don't think I would have cared for it that much. And I think there's, it's ri- It's very rich. Like it's just like a, a sifter of nice brandy. It's just very, very, just nice. It's a very nice it's, film. It's a. It's oaky. It's oaky <laughs> <It's time. laughs> it has a nice patina. <laughs> yes, highly recommend watching this. Um, but yeah, I, I mean that's part of why we do this show it's called catching up on cinema for a reason and this was a mutual catching up for both of us so i'm i'm very glad we got around to it yes um but that being said um if you want to check out any of our other catching up on cinema content uh, that would be over 100 episodes of podcasts and whatnot (laughs) Uh, you can find those on our website at catchinguponcinema.com as well as pretty much any podcasting service you can imagine so uh, if you Google us, you can find us. <laughs> but uh, if you'd like to hit us up directly, though, we do have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. Uh, so yeah, feel free to reach out at either of those accounts, uh, presumably to let me know about future episodes you'd like to see, or you know to let me know how I fucked up or fact check the hell out of me or something like that. Um, but that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Yeah.